Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ sermon podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. And whether it's here or online, I'm just so thankful to, to get this opportunity. I, I say it all the time. You don't have to be here. You know, there's no rule. I'm not taking attendance, uh, but you choose to, and that means a lot to me. We've been going through a series on the book of Romans, the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Rome. And last week, we ended chapter, or well, we started chapter 5, and we ended around verse 11, and we're going to pick up at verse 12. Um, but one thing I want to remind you what we talked about last week is Paul is really concerned with making sure that the, the people there and the church there, they know you can have confidence that Christ is going to see this through to the end. You're like, well... Christ justifies me now, and you tell me he's going to justify me at the end, but are you sure he can get me there? And Paul is saying, I am so sure that he can get you there. In verse 12, it kind of seems like he shifts gears a little bit, but really, I think the question, Paul does this a lot, is he thinks ahead to what the people are probably thinking in their head. He's like, this is probably what they're asking. And the question he imagines that they're probably asking is, but Paul, you're telling us that Jesus is going to make sure that we're justified in the end, but how can one person and one act take care of all the sin and all the problems of this world? It's almost like if, if you looked up at our attic over here in, in the, you know, above our ladies' class, and someone saw that mess, and I said, oh, I've got it. I'm going to take care of it. And you're like, I don't know. One person, just you, you're going to take care of all this? And you can almost imagine that people see all the sin and death in the world, and they think, you know, I hear you, Paul, but did Jesus really, was he really able to take care of all this? And so that's where we pick up. And what I'm going to do is we're going to read the, the rest of chapter 5, and I'm going to stop and make the points that I like to make. Hopefully I don't lose you while I do it. And then I've got one big point and then one point that kind of is the, the cap at the end of it, okay? So if you want to turn in your scripture journals or in your Bible, let's start reading. And I want to warn you, this very first verse, if you're not familiar with it, this 512 is a very hotly debated verse, and we're going to talk about it. But uh, if any of you have ever heard the phrase original sin, and people debating about original sin, are you born sinful? Uh, this is one of the key places where it comes from. So let's, let's start there um, in Romans 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin... And in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. You see that little dash? You can almost imagine that Paul was about to finish by saying, in the same way, life came through one man, Jesus Christ, but he gets sidetracked here. It would have been nice if he had finished that thought. He will come back to it. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses. He's saying, the people are like, well, wait a second. When the law, you know, the law came with Moses, so what happened between Adam and Moses? Because when, when the law came, that's when it revealed to people all the sins that they were living. The law displayed that. And Paul is saying, well, actually, just because the law came with Moses, death and sin still was going on between Adam and Moses. Even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is the pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if many died by the trespass of one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? So you should pay attention to the number of times Paul says the word gift over and over here. But he's saying, just as 
the sin of one man led to the sin of many people, so the gift of grace of one man, Jesus Christ, overflowed to the many. Verse 16, Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of the one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. What he wants you to know is, this is these are not two opposite equals. It's not like Adam and his one sin is equal to Jesus and his one act of his gift of grace. For Paul, he's saying, no, this one sin, Jesus's grace far surpasses the, the, the strength of this one sin. And he proves it by saying, one sin led to many people sinning and death. But Jesus, he, he gave his life and it covered all of those sins. It's so much stronger and greater than this one sin. For if by the trespass of one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness, righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in the condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in the justification of life for all people, whether you are a Jew or a Gentile. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many were made righteous. This is the same kind of obedience that Paul talks about in Philippians when he says, therefore Christ being obedient to death, he emptied himself, taking on the very form of a human. This idea of Christ obeying where Adam didn't obey. Um, the law... Make sure in the right spot. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. This really is confusing. You're saying, wait, did God give his law to increase sins? No. But what Paul is saying is, and this is something he would have believed as a Jewish man, is that all the Jewish people in the congregation would have grown up believing and hearing that when the law came, the law was going to be the thing that made sins start to decrease. That if everyone just got on board with the Torah and the law, sins would start to go down. And Paul is saying, no, that's not actually what happened. Yes, it, it revealed how you're supposed to live, but the law in and of itself has no ability to save us. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through the righteousness, through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So chapter 5 ends, as often happens in the Bible, by reminding us of what God accomplished through Jesus Christ and how that is, that, that is the point that all the words that came before are trying to get to, to show this is what God accomplished through Christ, that the death of Christ put God's love into action, and Christ's obedience to death defeats death and leaves grace and life in its place. So here is the, the big thing I want to talk about. Don't, whenever you're, if you're a note taker, don't put like point number one here just yet. First, I've got to explain some stuff to you. So let's go back to unpacking, and I, this is a typo. It should say, let's unpack Romans 5, 12. But this thing I mentioned to you earlier, this really hotly debated thing, and the way the verse goes is it says, just as sin entered the world through one man, and then death occurred because of that sin. And we've said this over and over. When you sin, you are not living how God designed for you to be. And one of the outcomes of that is death. And it doesn't just mean that your body dies. I've said this a million times. It's that things in your life start to decay from those choices. And so he's talking about the ripple effect of this. And then he says, in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. 
And this is the part in which you're like, wait a second, this makes no sense. This isn't fair at all. Are you telling me that because Adam screwed up that I have sin and the consequences of sin? That's a fair question to ask. And the thing that you need to know is that here is a good example of where when the Bible was written, the way that those people understood this is just different from how we think. In our world, we are very individualistic. If I screw up, I pay the consequences. If I do a good job, I get the benefits. That sounds like something you would hear, right, in America? In Eastern cultures where this Bible was written, that is not how they think. The way they think is what impacts the group impacts what one person does impacts our whole group. I've, I maybe have used this example before, but I'll reuse it if I, uh, if I have. There was once, a, I heard a preacher tell the story of um, a Bible study in Africa where um, this woman was leading a Bible study with these African women there. And this was maybe in, I don't know, Kenya or Uganda or something. And she asked the class of women, who is your favorite character, woman character in the Bible? Who's your favorite character? And what you would imagine if I asked you all that class in our Bible class is, you know, I might hear uh, Brenda might say, you know, uh, I really like Rachel. Or uh, Linda might say, I really like Ruth. You know, you have, what they did is they paused the Bible study and they all turned to each other and discussed. They discussed what their answer was going to be. And then when, after they had discussed, they all turned to the, the leader of the Bible study and said, our favorite character in the woman character in the Bible is this woman. They didn't say, this is mine, this is mine, because that's not their culture. Their culture is not my opinion, my individual idea. It is, this is, we are a group. This is our favorite character, okay? That's a, just an example of how different parts of the world, different from us, have a communal mindset, not us. And, and so what you can imagine here, and this is a, a, the way that I'd like to describe it, is that for Adam, Adam's decision is one in which even though Adam made the decision, we made the decision because he is our representative. He is a representative of humanity. Just like before a sports game, you've got team captains. If the teams are starting to fight with each other, the ref doesn't go up to every single person and say, hey, you better be careful. What does he do? He says, time out. Hey, captains, come here. Listen, your team needs to settle down. Your team needs to settle down. Next person who talks up, I'm giving them a tech, right? That's because now that's good for the whole team. Why? Because he told the representatives, right? Does that make sense? Another example is an ambassador of a country. I want you to imagine maybe back in medieval times, if the, an ambassador from France came over to Britain and said, hey, I just want you to know my king is really upset with you. And the king of England got up and like cut the guy's head off. What would happen? That would start a war between the two countries. Why? Well, he just killed one guy. No, he killed the representative, the person who came to be the speaker and the voice for the whole group. And so this is what we have with Adam. This is what Paul is saying, that in Adam, he was the head of humanity, the first of us. And if you think, well, you know what, Drew? He, God should have made a different person. He should have picked me to be the representative. I would have done a better job being Adam. No, you wouldn't have. Does that make sense? This is the key to all this, is that the second you start to think, well, why am I getting punished for what Adam did? You should remind yourself and realize that in so many ways, what Adam did, his sin, is a mold for the sin that we all commit and we all choose all the time. What was that sin? Adam was given a choice. Trust me and my life or choose life for yourself and trust your own way of doing things. And what did Adam choose? His own way. 
And that is what we do all the time. Every sin that we ever commit, can, its roots can be boiled down to us saying, I think this is better. I think this is the way I should go. Despite what God says, I think you should do this. I think you should put your trust in my way of doing things. And so Adam's humanity, this way that Paul describes it, is you've got these two humanities. You've got the humanity that was created that all followed after the path of Adam and was, con- and was under the reign of sin because of Adam. And then now Christ has come to offer a new humanity where Christ is the representative. And so here is the, the part where Paul makes the biggest shift, where he says, but you've got Jesus Christ. And because of his one action, he is now the new representative if you choose to have faith in him. So if all of you were sitting there going, wait a second, and by the way, I'm, I'm one of you. If we're sitting here going, wait, that is not fair. You're telling me that part of how I was born is under this rule of sin because somebody a long time ago screwed up? Well, guess what? I have good news for you. That isn't fair. But it's just as not fair that Jesus Christ came and he died and lived as the humanity God intended for us to do. And if you choose to have faith in him, Even though you are a very flawed person, you get to be a part of all the benefits of being made righteous because of Christ. You, you, You pick up what I'm putting down? Both are unfair, but we have the opportunity to say, I want to choose Christ as my representative. I want, and and when you do that, you all of a sudden get to be a part of this new humanity that is no longer under the rule of sin. In Genesis 1, 28, We have this verse where it says, God blessed Adam and Eve, and he said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. That word probably should be translated reign over it, like a king. Rule over the fish and the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. When God created Adam and Eve, when he created humanity, his goal, his purpose was for us to rule with him, to be his humanity, that we're going to... to, choose to say, I am going to trust in you and I am going to rule the way that you want me to rule. And what did Adam and Eve do? They said, actually, I kind of want to rule my own way. I want to choose for myself how I want to do this. I want to choose this other path. And by the way, people talk about this all the time. There wasn't some big flashing red warning sign on one tree and both trees look very good. Both trees look very similar, desirable to the eyes. It says that when Eve saw the fruit, it looked good. How many times has this happened to us in our life where we're trying to decide, am I going to choose to trust God or am I going to choose this other path? It's not like one of them has a big red X on it. Both of them look good. Both of them look very desirable. And yet we choose instead to do that. And so whenever this part, I didn't mention it earlier because I wanted to come back to it here. If you're taking notes in 17, you should circle this when it says, for if by the trespass of one man, death reigned through that one man, How much more, here, you ready? It says, Will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? So you've got this beautiful picture where he's saying, Adam and Eve were given the opportunity to rule and to reign. And what they did is they said, You know what? I'd rather be enslaved to sin. Now you're like, They didn't seem to choose that. When you choose to do something That's not what God intended. You are choosing to let sin reign rather than God reign. But because of what Christ did, if you choose to have faith in Christ, not only are you no longer under the reign of sin, but what Paul says is you are now reigning with Christ 
You are now back in the place where God meant for you to be, to rule and reign over God's creation, to bring blessing and life. And so the big point, the main thing that I want you to hear from this as we draw back, so try to unwind all this, this, wait, I was, the sin, because Adam sinned, I'm in trouble, let's rewind it back. At the center of all this, Paul is asking us a question. He's saying, when Adam sinned, we all became subject to the power of sin. And you have a choice. If you choose Adam as your representative, that's how it's going to stay. But you can instead say, I want to choose Christ as my representative. And if you do that, then all of a sudden you become a part of this new humanity where not only does sin no longer have sway over you, but it will never be able to have the final word in your life ever again. Will you still sin? Yes. But does it have the power over you anymore? So which humanity will you choose to belong to? Will you choose to rule and reign in the kingdom of life and grace with Christ as your head? Or will you choose to be enslaved to the reign of death? When I say it like that, you probably are thinking, well, that sounds pretty obvious. One sounds really nice and one sounds rough. And yet, from my own personal experience, I can't tell you the number of times if you looked at my actions and you looked at where I put my trust and my faith, I find myself continually choosing to have Adam and his choice be the one that I'm going to let reign the day to rule the day. And over and over, we're given this opportunity. Who are you going to choose? And the good news is, is that when you choose Christ in faith, you have secured yourself in that new humanity no matter what. Keller says, uh, Tim Keller, one of his quotes that he says that I really like is he says, until we are united to Christ through faith, all that is true about Adam is true about us. But once we are united to Christ, oh, sorry, I've got a slide. Until we are united to Christ through faith, all that is true about Adam is true about us. But once we are united to Christ by faith, whatever is true of Adam, is tr or whatever is true of Christ is true of us. This is what that whole representative stands for. That idea that you can have Adam as your representative, the one who speaks for the whole community, or we can choose to have Christ as our representative. And then the last thing that I, I would, I'd say is the cap to all this is there's a cool word in... in uh, uh, verse 4 or 20 chapter 5 verse 20 where it says but where sin increased grace increased all the more what does your translation say instead of grace increased all the more does it say something different it abounded okay so uh the word there where paul uses this grace abounded here and in second corinthians are the only time in all of all ancient greek literature where this word is used so what Paul has done is he's made up his own word. He has come up with a catchy word. You may be thinking, like, well, what do you mean he made it up? Like, literally, if you read Plato, Aristotle, all the other Greek, any other Greek writing, this word doesn't exist. But what he says, basically in Greek, is that grace superabounds. And what I want you to hear is that at the cross, we see the worst that sin and death could do when he says that where sin increased. At the cross, we see the worst that sin and death can do. And as humans, when we choose for ourselves what is right and best, it leads to death and decay of what we were created to be. But also at the cross, we see that the most sin can do is no match for God's love and grace and what it can do. Paul is trying to make this perfectly clear. The one thing that Adam did, yeah, it led to sin. But the one thing that Christ did, it didn't just cover that sin. It, the grace superabounded. It was so much more than you could possibly imagine. And the reason why this is good news for us is that 
over and over in life, we are going to find times in our own life and people we meet where this is what you're going to hear people saying. I just don't think there's any way God could forgive me or have enough grace for all the ways I've screwed up. If, God, if people really knew all the ways I'd screwed up, there's no way God could have room for me or have enough grace to cover all of that. And the truth is, is that at the cross, all of our sins leveled up come nowhere near to how much grace he wants to give to us to cover those over. At the cross, grace overwhelms sin and life triumphs over death. This is a, a line that I do listen to Keller's sermons a lot, uh, him and a few others, but one of the things he says over and over, I would say this is like his mantra, is that the gospel tells us that we are more sinful and broken than we ever dare believe, and we are more accepted and forgiven than we ever dare hope. Let me read that again. The gospel tells us that we are more sinful and broken than we ever dare believe, and we are more accepted and forgiven than we ever dare hope. The grace abounds so much more. And if you ever find yourself thinking that you have messed up so much to the point that God can't still love you or forgive you, then I am failing at my job as a preacher. Because we can't out the grace of God. If you ever find yourself thinking, man, you know what? If God put me to the test, I really could sin more than His grace could. There's no truth to that. That faith in Jesus Christ, His grace will abound and will far exceed any sins that you could ever commit. Now, part of you are sitting here and your, your inner Church of Christ member is going, so are you telling me, Drew, that we should sin a lot? Well, guess what? We're going to read Romans 6 next week where the very first thing he says is, so then should we go on sinning so that grace may abound? By no means. So don't worry. But before you get to that point, always remember that if you ever find yourself thinking, you know what? I've burned that bridge. There is no bridge that you can burn that Christ's love and grace can't forgive you. That's why in Romans 8 it says, nothing can separate us. Not angels or demons, nor height nor depth. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. If you'd like to know more about that grace, I'd encourage you to come talk to one of us. And if you have anything that you'd like to be in prayer about, I'd encourage you to come while we stand and sing.